0: Hello, and welcome to Shoulder Charge. On the show this week, is whole season over. Can Wigan go all the way? What on earth is going on in Perpignan and Swinton Lions? Or should I say, the Manchester Lions? Is that rebrand right or wrong? I'll be telling you what I think on all of that. So let's get right into it. I think we should start off with last night's action. And it were Castleford Tigers who... Hull FC, 44-12. I'll start off with Castleford. They really showed what they were made of, didn't they? You know, it was a must-win game for both sides, but only one team showed up for the fight, and it certainly weren't the black and whites. It was a rip-rowing start from Castleford, and Jake Truman in particular was pretty unplayable. For me, I was looking at the match prior to kick-off and thinking... It's probably going to be a sort of cup final sort of game. You know, Where it's a must win. Both sides really trying to make sure that they complete the sets, giving Lidl away, keeping the scores to a minimum, being a bit conservative. But no, Hull FC were flimsy, floundering, and Castleford's start was rip-roaring. And for the first 30 minutes, the Tigers were unrelenting. And Hull FC really couldn't handle the speed and the trickery. It was pretty shocking for Hull because Lee Radford admitted before the game, in training, they were prioritising, being solid defensively. And Hull FC last night fell out of the playoffs with a whimper. And the 13 Hull players finished the game battling with each other, never mind the opponents. But Jake Truman, just wow, because three tries, a great dummy for one of them. Not just scored three tries, though. His kicks were spot on, and they helped keep the pressure on Hull, despite Castleford ceding the possession. And defensively, fantastic as well, especially when he stuck his body on the line, when he got under Satay to hold him up even though he looked a dead cert for a try. The worst thing for Hull, though, it was just as catastrophic at the start of the second half. So, everything Lee Radford would have said at half-time, a minute into the second half, they conceded again. They were really lightweight, error-prone, whatever adjective you want to use, Hull FC were it. You know, Castleford nicked the ball off a Hull error and they were... They were only just approaching the 30-metre line and it was Castleford who nicked the ball in the first minute of the second 40 and it was Chase Blair who ended up with the ball and he laid it off to Truman who got the, got the try. But Chase Blair should have never been able to get that ball to um, Jake Truman because Chase Blair, he had three or four players surrounding him and he basically just shrugged them off and was able to offload the ball when it were being pulled down. The most disappointing thing about Hull is it's nothing new. It's been happening since day one of the twenty nineteen season. Only now a minus hundred and seven points difference. That, for a side that's been in the playoffs pretty much the majority of the season, is bloody shocking. Mark knee were rubbish, his kicks produced absolutely nothing Jake Connor, totally anonymous. The only thing he did was tell his own players to F off and he was sent to the bin for arguing with the referee. Where was he? So many this year have waxed lyrical about Jake Conner this year and he's produced one or two good performances. But that's about it. Where was he through this bad patch that Hull have just gone through and are still going through it? Where has he been? The best players perform even when things aren't going well. Jake Connor has gone into hiding, I'm afraid to say. And for Hull FC as a whole, that's it for them now because there's no way they're going to go and beat St. Ellens off that performance and their recent form. And then they've also got to hope that Castleford and Salford both lose pretty much. Or one of them, at least. And even if, by some minor miracle, they do get to the playoffs, you can only imagine they'll be out at the first available opportunity because they're just not good enough and they're so, so inconsistent. But, to end my discussion about last night's action, I think Castleford could give a few a run for the money if they got into the top five. Which, I think they will get in the five, But the best thing about that match was, after the game, Jake Truman was given man of the match, and in his interview, despite him scoring three tries, two assists, quite a few inch-perfect kicks, a try-saving tackle, you know, he was asked, how did you do? You know, that was a great performance, and he replied saying, yeah, it were all right. And I just thought that were brilliant because it it summed up his attitude for me and he's clearly a massive credit to Castleford Tigers and that is a player who you'd really want in your team and he'd be the first name on that team sheet every single week for me. As we've just been talking about the top five, let's carry on that discussion and have a look at the runners and riders and discuss who he's going to lift, who he's going to win And reach that grand final. Super League's reaching its climax. Who's going to get in that top five has become much clearer now. You know, we've definitely got St. Helens. Wigan Warriors are going to be there. Warrington will be there. Salford will be there. And then it'll probably be Castleford. So the question on my lips, who's winning it? Shall we start off with St. Helens? They're top. They're the league leaders. They won the League Leaders Shield or whatever it's called these days. They've lost just three times this year. Two of those losses, incidentally, were when they played London. And if you if you if you remember, that were when they played a severely weakened team. So you you could argue that this Saint Helens top team, the first team that they put out, has probably lost just once, and that were to Catalans. And they're not going to be in the top five, are they? So they've pretty much beaten the top five several times and quite a few of them comfortably as well. So they're big favourites. That dominance has put them 16 points ahead of Wigan, who were now in second. And I think Wigan are actually in second for the first time this year, actually. Not sure if that's 100% right, but behind St Helens, every team has lost more than 10 games. That's quite a gap. Saints have beaten Warrington, Wigan, Hull FC. And this form across the season, despite what they did last year, despite knowing that Wigan still won the grand final, it still prompted many to think, you know, this team's a bit more special than last year. They've got a bit extra this time. Many, including me, think this these are on course for the treble and they're going to do the business. It's not happened though, has it? Because... They lost, to the surprise of many, in the Challenge Cup final to Warrington. And it were pretty comfortable for them in the game as well, because there was a without Blake Austin, and it didn't stop them from winning 18-4. And it weren't really fancy stuff. Warrington just kept it simple and defended well. Saints just never looked like winning the game. And for a team that's got so much firepower, it were really disappointing and worrying that so many of them just had an off day. Perhaps the occasion got the better of them because there were so many errors, knock-ons. I think they made 18 errors. And that's just so unacceptable for a side that is where they are. They bottled it pretty much. And now, in recent weeks, we've had him McManus, the Saints chairman, really dragging it on and prolonging the pain because he can't get over the fact they lost. He's been complaining about Robert Hicks because he got it it wrong when he didn't award that try or at least send it up to the video referee. If you want to see what what he said, it's all on the internet. It was in his programme notes. It's there for all to see. I don't want to get into it because it's tedious, basically. Uh, Saints made 18 errors. The referee made one or two that that tells the story for me going back to the grand final chances I just don't think they're going to do it anymore because that defeat will no doubt be playing in their minds if they do get to Old Trafford and if they couldn't handle the pressure when everything were going good in the game they just won't be able to handle it when they're under even more pressure to win a major trophy because if they don't the season will be a failure and Their performances, when it matters, in the big games, have just left a lot to be desired. So for me, they're not going to do it. They still will be a big team to overcome. It won't be easy. They were forced to be reckoned with. But for me, they just lose out. Next up in the contenders is Warrington. I'm sure the odds of winning that grand final shortened after that Challenge Cup win. But the problem with Warrington for me is, can they go the distance and beat two other top teams in a row, you know, on the bounce, to actually reach the grand final? Because, for me, this season, they've been far too inconsistent. And they've been on a pretty bad run of form in the last month or so. They've lost to Wigan, Catalan's, Castleford. So, they're not the finished article for me. I think the fact that all eyes were on Saints going into that cup final really helped them. The pressure was still on, yeah, but it weren't as much as the pressure had for Saints. Yeah, Warrington didn't win a trophy for several years, and there was an expectation, sort of. But everybody expected it were going to be Saints who lifted that trophy. And now they've won that, all eyes is going to be on the Wolves to do it again, to shock us again. And there'll be the added expectation because they've been there and they've done it. To be honest, I do think they'll miss out as well because of that added pressure. The inconsistencies over the season and the poor form going into the playoffs. You know, will Warrington have too much to sort out to be a match for the top five in in the playoffs? For me, that's why they're not going to do it. Then we've got Wigan. Now, this is a side that I'm really looking for to win the grand final. They're going quite nicely. I think they've won 10 out of the last 11. So that, you know, you you can't get a better form going into a playoff situation. They're hitting the form at the right time. And last week, they got the win over Wakefield who were battling it out to to survive this year. And it really weren't easy for them, was it? In that game, Wigan were leading 12-0. And then Wakefield got it back to 12-12. And then they scored again. So Wigan really had a tough game that week. And I think that'll stand them in good stead. Because it couldn't have just been playing sailing for them. Because then they might have been overconfident, too cocky. And then been bitten in the playoffs. But they've had that little tester to make sure that they still on the ball, still focused. So that for me, they're really the favourites going into it. And the squad, that's pretty scary too. I think the reintroduction of Liam Farrell since his injury has really helped George Williams bring him to the top of his game. And in recent weeks when I've been watching Wigan, he's just really, really brilliant. And really hard to defend against. And then you've got the speed of Bevan French who's also recently coming to the side he made a great start to his Wigan career a couple of weeks back Wigan can beat anyone they know how to win them grand finals as well you know despite not being the best team they they still win the grand finals don't they they did it last year although they do have Adrian Lamb at the helm now but you know he's going just fine I think he's a good coach and let's not forget Wigan have really transformed themselves this year because, remember back at the start of the season, Sean Edwards was supposed to be taking over. There was a whole debacle over that. You know, it ran on for weeks and weeks and weeks. The form on the field, they were closer to relegation than they was to the top five. And that that carried on for quite a number of months. Then they had all the issues with the drinking drugs... Drinking drugs offences with the players. So... They've had to overcome a lot, and it says a lot about the team and the coach to have won 10 out of the last 11, especially what they've had at the start of the season. And Wigan have got a really good defence. They're rarely conceding much points this, this year. So for me, look no further than Wigan Warriors for the grand final 2019. Of course, Salford are an outside bet. You know when they've got Super League second top try scoring Nile Levels and then the top try assister, probably Man of Steel, Jackson Hastings, they're always gonna have a chance aren't they? And what a job Ian Watson has done because to get Salford challenging for this grand final in twenty nineteen when just a couple of years ago they were battling in the million pound game To avoid relegation to the championship. And the good thing about Salford is. This success has not been brung about. Because of money. It's not due to investment. It's down to attitude of the players. The coaching. And most of all great recruitment. Good characters. Not superstars but a good squad that mixes well and gets the results and fights for everything and is all reading off the same hymn sheet. So how refreshing is that? That success from the bottom to the top has not solely come down to money because Salford can't compete financially with the Wiggins and the St Helens. They don't get the gates that they do. So, you know, what a good story that is. And it's worth remembering, last week when they beat Warrington, to go level with them on points, the the previous meeting before that, Salford were 12 points behind Warrington back in July the 12th. So, since that fixture and the one last week when they beat Warrington, they've come a long way. And that's just in the space of two months. So, they've made up 12 points. The performance, it weren't perfect. But I think that's a good thing because they've got a bit to work on going into the playoffs. And it's better going into the playoffs with a few improvements to make than being overconfident and taking things for granted. And yeah, I have said that Warrington won't do it because they've got a lot of improvements. But I think Warrington's ironing out of issues is a lot There's a bigger pile of stuff to iron out for Warrington than there is for Salford. It's a few tweaks for Salford. For Warrington, you know, they've got to be getting Blake Austin back to full fitness, trying to get him up to the speed. Then they've got to do something about that terrible farm they're on. So it's a big task. For Salford, it's about fine-tuning, even then. You know, Salford have got a good chance of getting to get into that grand final. Don't think they'll win it, though. Wigan, for me, I reckon Salford, like Castleford, will put the cat amongst the pigeons in the playoffs. And both of those sides could get to the grand final. But for me, it's Wigan. Moving on. A team outside the playoffs is the Catalan Dragons. And just what on earth is going on? In Perpignan, forget for a moment all that's been going on off the field. Let's just have a look at what's been going on the field. The last three games have all been against relegation threatened sides. Now, Catalan's, they've had ambitions of getting into the top five this year. I think they they were third a couple of months ago. You know, this is a side who have got the quality to reach the grand final. And they must... Have been rubbing their hands prior to those games and thinking, you know, we've got a real good chance to get ourselves in that top five. The team, as I've just said, it's a wash with quality, Sam Tomkins, Tony Gigo, etc. etc. It's a team that won the Challenge Cup last year. Tony Gigo won that Lance Todd Trophy for being the best player. They were the first side to beat St. Helens this year. They beat Wigan at the new camp. That squad of players, who has done all that, has lost every single one of those three games against relegation-threatened sides, and I do appreciate that. These games are not going to be easy because they're fighting for the lifestyle at the bottom. But come on, it weren't just a battle. It was. It was a. They were overwhelmed in every single game. London did it. Leeds did it. And Hull KR's done it. I don't think I've seen a more ill-disciplined side as Catalan Dragons are. I've already spoken about, you know, when they lose, they lose heavily. That's because of the lack of discipline and the way they just hit the self-destruct button. In them three games, 48-8 lost to Leeds, 17-4 loss to London, 24-6 lost to Hull KR. And in them games... The problems are there for all to see. We've had Greg Bird, a highly experienced player, just not really giving us stuff about the game. All he seems to do is whinge to the referee, trying to buy cheap penalties, trying to deceive him by overreacting and making tackles look worse than they are. He spent more time arguing with the referee than he has on the actual game at hand. After virtually any physical challenge... The dragons, they always come sprinting over, looking for a fight over challenges that are perfectly acceptable. So many times, the dragons square up to the opponents, and it's really rare not to see a scuffle in a game that involves Catalan dragons. And it's just awful to watch, and it must be painful for those fans. Because those players are really not playing for Steve McNamara, who has bemoaned his side's ill discipline several times this year. But they do it time and time again. And it really doesn't seem to be an issue that's hard to resolve. You know, you stick to the game plan, you stay focused, you keep your counsel, you channel your aggression into a good performance. But game after game after game, it's the same. So the coach must be pulling his hair out. Are they deliberately wanting to get the coach the sack? Because it seems that way to me. And also, there, there seems to be too many bad apples at the club who have either given up or just simply don't care anymore. And if that's true, then I think it's really a sad state of affairs. Moving on to the chairman, he's made his feelings pretty clear. And I'm sure you've all seen him giving the players a dressing down in the changing rooms. By the way, who were recording that and what was it known? That's one to discuss. But you could say it's probably undermined Steve McNamara, but I think Bernard Guash is sympathetic to our Steve McNamara because going off his recent interview with the French newspaper Le Independent, on Tony Gigo, who's leaving at the end of the season, he said he's questioned his attitude and he doesn't listen to the right people. He's also said there's been six or seven problems with players who are coming to the end of their contracts, who just can't handle the fact that they won't be playing for the club next year. For me, that's really revealing because you've got players at other clubs, such as Jordan Abdul at London, who'll be joining OKR next year. But Jordan Abdul is still gonna give his all for the club, and that's what he's been doing. And that's what professionals do. You just get on with a job. And bizarrely, Jordan Abdul could actually help keep London up this year and at the same time relegate the club who we will be playing for the next year. So with the fact that these six or seven players who are not gonna be at the Catalans are causing loads of problems, does this mean that recruitment and the way it's done just needs to be looked at? For me, I don't think so, because I think most players who are moving on to other clubs are just getting on with a job. But for some reason, the Catalan players have probably got sour grapes. For what reason? I have not got a clue. Many have wondered, including me, why Steve McNamara has not been sacked yet. Because that's probably what happens, you know, when players just stop performing and the. The old adage, they lose the dressing room. But Bernard Gouache has said he's going to extend Steve McNamara's contract, so he's going nowhere. I don't really know what those players are playing at, though, because no coaches will be after players who have got that kind of attitude. Maybe they need to take a long, hard look at themselves, but Steve McNamara, I think, does bear some responsibility in the fact that he's assembled this squad He knew who he were getting. But I say, good on the chairman for not tolerating the players and sticking by his coach. It really makes a change from the usual chairman who just hit that fire button. I reckon good on him. Outside of Super League, Swinton Lions from next season are going to be called the Manchester Lions. And this is a club that is pretty historic. I think in the 1860s, this club was, um, you know, th- that's when it was established. So what do you think? Should it, Should they do this? They say that at a time when uh, financial deals are coming to an end in 2021 and that's probably going to be a decrease, there's going to be less money There's dwindling crowds. There's no real increase on those crowds. They can't get people in for the financial future to be secure. They need a sustainable model. And one way they're doing it is by rebranding it to the Manchester Lions and then trying to market it to be the Manchester club so that more people come to it. Sounds good on the face of it. But if you're a Swinton Lions fan. This is a disaster, isn't it? You know, I support Bolton Wanderers. If Bolton changed to the Manchester Wanderers or whatever or they merged with Bury, the Bolton Bury Wanderers, I'd be absolutely outraged and I would be protesting it, you know, until it were changed. There's no way I would stand for a name to be changed like that. The Swinton chairman said that he would consult with the fans on this rebrand but now the Swinton fans are saying that they've not been consulted on and they're just going ahead with it anyway so that's a big on goal for me but I think the plans are flawed and it's very it's a very simple issue it seems so simple to resolve but it doesn't work like that you know, oh, we'll change it to the Manchester Lions and people will see it as Manchester and there's a big following for Manchester so they'll all just come. It does not work like that. Let's have a look at London. London Broncos. They play at Ealing Trailfinders. The rugby union club's called Ealing Trailfinders. They play in Ealing. So pretty much London Broncos are an Ealing club. Yet yeah, they've got the name of London. They've got the brand of the London team. They're the only Rugby League London team. And how much people do they get into their stadium? The average about 2,000. I think the stadium holds 4,000. So if London Broncos, with the London brand, I appreciate that Rugby League's not as popular down south, but if they can only get 2,000, Why will Swinton changing their name to the Manchester Lions then see a huge influx of fans? I just think it ain't going to happen. And then we've got Salford Reds, who are a... Salford's a big city, you know? They've struggled for fans and increasing numbers in gates for years and years and years. And that's what Marwan Kukash was so peed off about. That nobody would come in. Salford, you know, they've got the Salford City Football Club on the doorstep. There's quite a load of fans there. There's the the Neville brothers and all that classic 92 nonsense running that club. They've got the bloody Manchester United. They're pretty much a Salford. You know, they're more associated with Salford than they are actually Manchester. So you'd have thought that maybe those that's group of fans could come to the Salford Red Devils they've even got the Red Devils that's what the Man United uh, nickname is but there's not been any increasing fans there so I think you know it's good that they're looking for more ways to secure the future and try and try to have ambitions of making it financially stable and trying to get into the top five maybe in the championship increasing those gates but I don't know I don't think that the fans are out there I don't know what happens because no matter what you do no matter how much marketing no matter the brand change I just don't think there's people out there that are going to increase the crowd sizes and the Swinton fans seem pretty outraged to me And are they now going to stop going because it's now the Manchester Lions? I know that the club's keeping all the history and they still have Swinton on the badge, but they're the Manchester Lions now, or subject to RFL approval, I think. So, are them fans going to keep going? So, is it going to be detrimental? I think it's a bit of an own goal and I don't think it's going to work, but... That's the way they're going. But on the field, Swinton, th- they've gone all right this year, actually. And they've gone a bit under the radar because recently they've had some pretty tough seasons. But this year, they're sort of doing the business. You know, they've been fighting off relegation every year since they gained promotion in the Championship through the playoffs back in 2015. The ninth in the Championship, last time I looked, they were mid-table in the Championship. Which, on the face of it, is not that remarkable. But as is the case with every scenario, there's context to where they are in the table. So, back in 16, they won promotion to the championship the year before. It was all about survival. And in that year, they actually shipped over a thousand points. So, they conceded more than 1,000 points. You know, the championship status went down right to the wire. And I think they survived by about four points to keep them in the championship. They've had all sorts of financial turmoil. 2017, it was pretty bleak. The chairman said he considered administration, even liquidation. You know, they've had issues over the stadiums, like many clubs, you know, playing at several different grounds over the years. They've had winding up orders, but they've come through it. They seem to be on more financial footing, but... If this Manchester rebrand doesn't work, then where do they go from there? That's a question for the chairman. On the field, it were more of the same. You know, they were in the qualifiers yet again. Despite winning just two of them seven games, they survived again by four points. And last year, it was another relegation dogfight, and they'd actually be in League One right now if it had not been for the RFL uh, deciding to expand the league to 14 teams. So, to decide on who played in that larger league, all the sides who were fifth and below played for the Championship Shield. Swinton finished bottom of the Championship Shield, meaning the fate was sealed in that one off playoff match, which was against League One Workington, who were looking to get promoted in the place of Swinton. Remarkably, Swinton lived to fight another day, they won the game 33 20. So, for three years, They'd just been surviving by the skin of the teeth. This year, for the start of the season and a couple of months after, it was looking like business as usual, fighting it out again, trying to survive. But they've had a big turnaround. But at the start, they lost all the first seven games. And with two two guaranteed to go down this year, you probably thought that they'd done enough and this was it and they were going to go down. They were conceded on average of 33 points and the form after those seven games didn't get much better. They lost 11 out of the first 14. won just once at home, so it were pretty bleak. But then, now, it's three losses in the last 12. In that period, they've beaten full-time to lose. Drew to Bradford, who've got a massive wage budget. And they also lost by just a point against Lee, who have spent well and acquired quite a few Super League players. So it's been a remarkable turning form, and one that's pretty much come out of nowhere. And actually, the form of late has been of a playoff contending side. And yeah, they've had a bit of help from Wigan with with them acquiring the likes of Chris Hankinson and Jake Shorrocks. But the real highlight has been Matty Ashton, of course. He's probably rugby league's most exciting prospect outside the Super League. So much so that he's joining the Warrington Wolves in the 2020 season. He's the lead top try scorer and he's had 20 odd tries. He was styled a show when they beat Toulouse, the full time Toulouse that is, scoring four tries. He was signed from Rochdale Mayfield so huge credit to Stuart Little of the coach for spotting him. What a job he's done. He joined in 2017, recently signed a two-year extension. And you can imagine it's only a matter of time before a Super League club comes looking, you know, if he continues that good work at Swinton. they were a club with a real history. But, you know, the progress has been hindered by financial issues, much like a lot of other rugby league clubs. There's apparently progress on Swinton's new stadium, according to the chairman... So that seems to be moving along. But, you know, with Sheffield, they're looking for their new stadium. They were promised a stadium in 2013 and five years later still don't have one. You know, the the recent form on the field is encouraging. Next year, they could, you know, if all goes well, they could move on. Probably be a Sheffield, you know, like they've done this year. Nobody expected them to challenge for the top five. They've just missed out, but they've they've won that eighteen ninety five cup, so hugely successful year for them. Could Swinton do something the same? Well, it'll be Manchester now, won't it? But I think it's a shame that they're changing the name. But that's my opinion. Anyway, before I go, the Great Britain squad for the upcoming tour has been announced. Have you seen it? What did you make of it? Because for me, it was pretty much the right squad. Th of course, were a couple of eyebrows raised, but with so little positions, and well, there's a quite a few positions, but so so many players are doing well at the moment, and there's just not enough spaces. Basically, uh, looking at the squad, you know, a couple of additions sort of left me wondering whether Wayne Bennett, the coach who coaches in the NRL, as he watched the Super League games this season, because he's included. Stevie Ward and Shauna O'Loughlin Stevie Ward I don't p- think he's played this year he's been injured Shauna O'Loughlin's been injured so it left me thinking Is he been watching this year because he's left out Regan Grace Niall Evolt who is the second top try scorer and what about Zach Hardacre I think they're pretty unfortunate not to be in this squad and they've got Blake Austin and Lachlan Coote Named in it, despite them being from Australia. But when the last squad was announced, we've been over that, so we're not gonna go over that again. The squad were pretty much right, mostly. They've also got the NRL guys coming in, but this were just the great the, the uh, Super League and yeah, this were just the Super League club players. Overall, mostly right, but what is Stevie Ward and Sean O'Loughlin doing in the team? Anyway, that's it for this week. There's going to be another next Friday. Remember to subscribe, like and share, and I'll see you next week.